A group of friends went deer hunting and paired off in twos for the day. That night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under an eight-point buck. Where's Harry? they asked him. He was breathless from his trip back. He said, Harry had a stroke of some kind. He's a couple of miles back up the trail. You left Harry lying there and carried the deer back? It was a tough call, said the hunter, but I figured no one is going to steal Harry. (laughs) I hope that's fictional. (laughs) We all have tough, tough calls to make about where we direct our thoughts, our time, and our energy. Matthew 6:24 the first verse of today's passage sets the stage for Jesus sermonette about priorities. In Matthew 6 we're in the middle of his sermon on the mount. And now at the end of this chapter he is saying no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other. Or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Though we prefer to think of ourselves as completely independent, the question that Jesus sets before us is not whether we will serve a master. We are like slaves, we serve a master. The question is which. The question is not whether, but which master we will serve. Someone once asked Tom Landry why he had been so successful as a football coach. He said, in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. I determined my priorities for life. God, family, and then football. Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's, said something similar when asked by a reporter what he believed in. I believe in God, he said. I believe in God, my family, and McDonald's. And then he added, when I get to the office, I reverse the order. Well, I think that can be our tendency as well, to have our priorities well-ordered in one place and then change them around somewhere else. We may amble into this sanctuary wearing a halo, but look forward to 12 o'clock when we can leave and exchange it for the horns. What or whom do you serve? It does us well to re-examine our priorities now and then because when they're out of order, our blood pressure goes up or our headaches increase or we don't sleep as well. When our priorities are out of order, we have reason to worry. It's been a few years since some of us read through Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. In chapter 3 of that book, he lists five different things that drive people. Five common things that drive people. One, he says, is guilt. 
Those driven by guilt are manipulated by memories, controlled by the past. The second one, those driven by resentment or anger retain their hurt, never releasing their pain through forgiveness. The third one is fear. Some are driven by fear. These people have allowed some past event or unrealistic expectation to control their lives. The fourth he lists is materialism. People driven by materialism have as the only goal in life to acquire possessions. They believe that more achieves happiness, status, and therefore security. The fifth is a need for approval. Those driven by approval allow others, whether it's spouses, parents, teachers, friends, they allow others to control their lives. Peer pressure rules them. Their key to failure is in their attempt to please everyone. Has one of these become your master? Guilt, resentment or anger, fear, materialism, need for approval? All five of these feed the insatiable appetite of worry. When we are being driven by them, God is not in the driver's seat. In these verses from Matthew, Jesus is poetic. He takes us outside. The birds and flowers of God's creation direct our thoughts to the loving care that the Creator pours into them. We've seen pelicans diving into the water off the shore, woodpeckers jackhammering some dread tree trunk, robins pecking at the dirt in the front yard. Ten weeks ago, our sanctuary was beautifully decorated with Easter lilies trumpeting resurrection. And even now, daylilies are spreading out their leaves so that they can shoot up their flowers and decorate our landscapes again. If God cares for these birds and these lilies, are you humans not of even greater worth, Jesus asks? You to whom God gave dominion and responsibility for this beautiful creation? Jesus has our number when he says, you of little faith. I think most of us wish we had greater faith in God. Perhaps that's one reason we're here. Because faith can take away the anxiety of unspoken emotions, mysterious emotions. Faith would calm our fears before they get out of hand. Faith comes to life encouraged to do things that we didn't think we could do or that perhaps we don't even want to do. So we could use this Bible passage to increase our sense of guilt. How does that feel? Blah. George Muller said, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. He implies that then if we 
only had more faith, then we would worry less. Now, there may be some truth to that, but I don't think that's the only thing that Jesus is saying to us. And I believe that because verse 31, as well as two of the other verses, start with, therefore. Therefore is a powerful word. It says that everything previously builds up to this. And this is what I want you to hear. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles, it is the pagans who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is helping us to establish and maintain healthy priorities. The owner of two cafes explained that so long as he, st- he stayed focused on customer service, the economics took care of themselves. But when the emphasis became making money, things no longer worked. When the focus became the bottom line, the bottom line collapsed. The world is competitive. Our lives have many things that compete for our attention. We have opportunities galore, both good and bad. I saw this last Wednesday night after Susan's reception, after the reception after her, the recital, the trash can in the dining room was getting trash thrown into it and it was getting higher and higher and some kind person pulled up the sides of the trash bag around the trash can and then one person came along and threw a plate on top and it went over the side and not only it but other things went over the side along with it. And I think that's what happens when our, with our lives, too. Sometimes we try to add one more thing in, and everything then seems to topple. Our lives are brimming. Brimming, perhaps, with worries, because there are things that concern us. Our health, children, parents, work, eating, retirement, debt, death. And on and on. These are serious issues. So worry? Of course we want to worry. I saw this illustration about avoiding worry, though. It came from something I had not heard of. Perhaps you have heard of tree skiing? No? Okay, good. Me neither. (laughs) Um. That, that tree skiing, it, it sounds sort of like a death wish. Some skiers like to ski through the virgin snow of um, an aspen grove or a, a pine tree grove out in, say, Colorado. And the key, of course, is not hitting the trees. So in Outside Magazine, the writer and the skier, Tim Etchells, lays out the challenge. He says, even more than in deep snow or moguls, when you focus your eye, what Sorry, what you focus your eyes on becomes critical in the woods. 
Look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you hope to be traveling. And another skier says, don't stare at what you don't want to hit. Arthur Rank, an English executive, decided to do all of his worrying on one day of the week. He chose Wednesdays. When anything happened that gave him anxiety and annoyed his ulcer, he would write it down. And he had a worry box. So after he wrote it down, he would take the sheet of paper and put it in his worry box and forget about it until the next Wednesday. The interesting thing was that on the following Wednesday, when he opened his worry box, he found that most of the things that had disturbed him in the past six days were already settled. It would have been useless to have worried about them. I think this is something that we want to do with God's help, is to allow God to become our worry box. Jesus invites us to wait on the Lord, but not without action. If we wait on the Lord, then our worries just continue to build and build because we're not not facing them. But when we give them to God, release them, then we are relieved of their strain. So, With the help of others, I developed a short list to get you started if worry is a challenge for you. First, start each morning offering your day to God. Second, when you catch yourself worrying, admit it and cry out. We have psalm after psalm where the writers were crying out to God. And we need to not be ashamed to do that. In Psalm Psalm 131, we read, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But that's not the end of the psalm. She or he keeps going. But... Sort of like that, therefore. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the the weaned child that is with me. You think about a weaned child. It's a child who can express his needs and wants in some way other than crying. And the third and final verse of that short psalm, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on. And forevermore. She brings us back to hope, always to hope. So admit it, cry out. Third, ask someone to pray for you. If you're having trouble praying yourself, ask someone to pray for you. And alongside that, ask for help. Don't be ashamed of that. That's one reason we are church. That's why Jesus called us together in the first place, to help each other. We all need help sometimes. And we draw closer to one another when we work on a problem together. Ask for help. 
Fifth, nip it in the bud. You've heard that before. We talked about it at Bible study last Monday night. Arthur Summers Roach says, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. So nip it in the bud. Catch it while it's small before it cuts that larger channel and depletes the energy you have left. Sixth, you want to hear them again? Start each morning offering yourself to God first. When you catch yourself worrying, admit it. Cry out in prayer. Ask someone to pray for you. Ask for help. Catch it early. And sixth, pray the Lord's Prayer. Matthew shows Jesus introducing this prayer earlier in chapter 6, our passage for today. We acknowledge first our dependence on God, the giver of life and bread, the one who can lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. And then we place our lives at the foot of the one who is full of power and the glory and the majesty. When we can do that, when we place ourselves at God's feet, we recognize again that God knows what we need. And so if we are striving for God and God's righteousness, then everything else will be okay. It will be okay. We can leave our needs and our wants in God's capable hands. Just a greater faith that we need? Wouldn't hurt. But the key thing we need is God. To direct our thoughts and attention to God first. And somehow, even though it seems paradoxical sometimes, that, oh, I need to get all this stuff done, And yet, when we direct our attention to God first, the other things fall into place. They really do take care of themselves. So I would like for us to release our worries and acknowledge our trust and hope in God as we close this sermon together with the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.